Welcome to Risking Old Age in America. The 76 million baby boomers in the United States are getting older. Are we ready? We talk with thought leaders, professional advisors, and others with deep understanding of the generational challenges for both individuals and for the nation. Now here's your host, elder law and long-term care expert, Harry Margolis. Today, we will be talking with Amy Lampert, who is a financial planner with over 30 years management experience in the financial services industry, to help us talk about planning for for our older ages. But especially, I'm, I'm delighted to have Amy here because she's also the founding principal of the not-for-profit Women's Financial Network and of Women's Worth, a company whose mission is to demystify the world of money and increase financial literacy and empowerment for for women of all ages. But today we'll be focusing on women women of later years, and it's especially important in, in, for baby boomers and and people hitting their older years before before them before baby boomers, because of some of the statistics statistics about really financial risk for older women in the United States. They are more likely to have earned less during their lives, to have less savings. And and also are more likely to end up being on their own. They are 54% of women and just 20% of men, 75 and older, are widowed. Two-thirds of people receiving elder care are women. And three-quarters of people providing family care, caregiving to family members are women. So elder care and the risks of old age are, in a lot of ways, a women's issue. And so the question that we'll be talking about today is how can women prepare and, and what really advice Amy has to give them so they can have a better old age, whatever, whatever, whatever they face as the, as, as they get older. So Amy, I think I'll start with that open, open general question. What, what advice would you give to baby boomers, female baby boomers, so that they can better prepare for, for their later years? Well, hi, Harry. Good morning. It's nice to be with you again. So the, the, the overarching advice, and for some baby boomers, this may come a little late, but it's never too late, is not to give in to the temptation to abdicate uh, to another. And that could be a spouse, a partner, an attorney, a father, a father-in-law, a stepfather. Don't abdicate the planning for your um, twilight years. And, and this is true about financial planning in general. I think women have a tendency to uh, not only delegate, which is fine, but delegating means managing the person to whom you delegated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but p- women have a tendency to to abdicate and, and, and let somebody else take care of their finances. I'm not 100% sure why this is. And by the way, the statistics are that younger women do this as well. I thought it might change generationally, but it didn't. I just got off the phone with somebody who claims that they're a creative person and therefore they can't deal with their own financial planning. And I don't think that there's any correlation between whether you're a right brain or a left brain person. But but I, I honestly think you have to, especially women, have to take the reins into their own hands as early as possible. So if you haven't done that already, uh, it's the first thing that you want to do when you wake up tomorrow morning. And what does that mean? It means self-educating. It means understanding 
getting over the denial of getting older, because this is not a topic some people feel comfortable addressing. It means bringing into the conversation the people who are closest to you and who may be not only your caregivers, but your emotional support, friends, family. I think there's a lot of research recently that people tend to live longer, not because of how much they exercise, not because of how much they diet, but because of the network that they've created for themselves, the emotional network. I would also recommend that you understand that Addressing your investments is not the same as planning. So there's a lot of planning to be done that has nothing to do with investments. And elder planning and elder care is one of those areas. I also urge you, if you haven't already, many baby boomers have, but I wouldn't give in to the temptation to take Social Security as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. It can cost you many, many, many dollars over the course of your remaining lifetime. So people are know that they can start taking Social Security at 62. Others know they can take it at full retirement age. But there may be some real compelling reasons to make a choice to either take it early, take it at full retirement age, or even delay until age 70. Never beyond. So full, full retirement age is what now, 67? Depends on your birth. Uh, mm. It depends on birth, but around 67. 66 mm. some months are 67. So the other thing about Social Security, which has to do with the next thing, is if you happen to be anticipating an elder divorce, that's divorce for people over 50, and there seems to be an epidemic, mm-hmm. make sure that you know what your entitlements are as a spouse, this is for men or women, based when you get divorced. So I can't tell you how many times I've had clients in my office whose lawyers allowed them to sign a divorce decree at nine years and nine months. It's shocking to me that that happened. But once you pass the 10-year mark, you are entitled to a lot of benefits, such as your former spouse's social security that tends to be higher than yours. So so, so ba- basically, if, if you've been married 10 years, you get the same benefits as if you were still married. Exactly. And And, and that also means that upon the death of your former spouse, you get not only half of their benefit, which you get when they're living, but you get their entire benefit if it's higher than yours. And and, and it's, it's amazing to me that some women don't comprehend this and are reluctant to ask for it. it you, your, your former spouse doesn't even need to know. You just deal mm-hmm. with the Social Security Administration. So there's a lot. That could be a whole session, but that's just a flag to keep to keep in mind. The other thing is in... In cases of divorce, there are some boxes that need to be checkmarked. For example, if there's a life insurance policy of which you are a beneficiary, or if you're not the beneficiary, part of your divorce negotiation may be to make sure that that life insurance policy stays in place if it is not limited term, because you will be a benefit of that when your former spouse um, dies or stops having to pay alimony, which usually uh, most divorce settlements don't require an ex-spouse to pay alimony after the age of 65 or retirement age. So that I, I, along that line, I would urge you not to fall prey to the many ads on TV about surrendering life insurance policies. Mm-hmm. There are reasons not to. So seek the advice of an advisor who isn't necessarily working for the company that 
produced or manufactured the life insurance policy because sometimes you don't get objective advice. This would also lead to making sure that when you do seek advice, and I urge people to seek advice, you do so from from professionals that can be objective because they're not representing only one line of whatever asset or product you're you're trying to buy. I would urge you, those of you who are still working, and many people are still working past what used to be retirement ages, that you, and if you have children who are yet going to school or graduate school, that you you can borrow for education, but you can't borrow for retirement. So if you're torn between retirement and education, I would opt that you borrow for education. It might be a tough decision to let your kids know they need to have skin in the game, but mm -hmm. uh, you must... Pay attention to your own retirement. We all had skin in the game, didn't we? When we were in school. We did. We did. And I think it makes a difference. Again, there's sort of data which shows if the student has skin in the game, they finish in a shorter number of years than if they don't. So mm -hmm. even if you can afford it, it might make sense to have your children have some skin in the game. Self-educate. There's lots and lots of information. I happen to like a website called Investopedia. Mm -hmm. um, I find to be very objective, um, very easy to digest. And that's sort of my go-to website for almost any question uh, that has to do with planning. It, it seems um, to come up a lot when I do searches for any, yeah. any questions yeah. I have as well about, his, about financial that's issues or estate planning. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they have a robust SRO, but it is a good site. It is a good site. I think that's, I think that's the, the summer substance. I can, I can elaborate. And of course, the whole... Yeah. The whole topic of elder planning, long-term care planning, that's your bailiwick, Harry, and your firm does a wonderful job of it. But that, that really is having the conversations about that with the people who are important. Well, let's, let's, talk, let's delve into some of, this, some of what you've talked about. So Social Security probably postponing taking benefits because you get a, a much bigger benefit the longer you postpone it up to age 70. You get 8% more a year every year you delay. So that's after, after, after your full retirement age. Exactly. So if your full retirement age is 67, that's going to be 24% more. That's a chunk of money. Now, not everybody can afford to do that, mm -hmm. but with good planning, and there now are um, social security optimization models that um, can be available to you from any financial planning firm. Um, and there may even be some online, but... Um, yeah, it makes sense to make sure, especially if you still have a a, a spouse, there are ways to um, optimize your overall Social Security income. And I'd argue that that's more important for women than for men because, on average, they live longer than men. Yeah, you're going to lose your spouse. If you're married, you're going to lose your spouse's Social Security when that spouse dies. Yes, you can absorb their benefit if it's higher, which very often it is. but uh, you're still going to lose some cash flow. So it's yeah. very important for women because women on average live, it used to be seven years longer. It's now five years longer than men. Mm -hmm. It's actually, once you made it to 65, it's actually the, 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 the gap is, is narrower. I believe it's, it's just, yeah. just two years. If, 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 if you both made it, made it that far, but yeah. that's still two years longer. Another statistic I've seen that, that, that if there's two of you, uh, if you are married and there's two of you, even though I forget what they think the 
life expectancy for a man is about 18 years and the life expect at age 65 and life expectancy expectancy for a, for a woman is 20 years but the life expectancy for the likelihood that one or the other will make it to age 90 is really high and even and even even longer than that now even yeah. longer when we do planning and I guess this is another piece of advice when we do planning we plan to age 100 there are more and more centenarians and you can't have a plan that that finishes up at age 94 if you're going to live till 96. So right. to be safe, if a plan works till age 100, what will work till age 95? So, and just going back to the one last thing on Social Security, I, I'd, I'd also argue that it may be even more important for single women to postpone taking the benefits till age 70 if they can. Because again, they, they, they're more likely to be on their own and need that extra income. Exactly, exactly. So we, uh, I, I, it's always a good idea to consider delaying Social Security as long as you can. But as we know, there are some people who don't have that privilege. And there may be some reasons not to. If you know that you are not going to be long-lived, for example, mm-hmm. you've had a diagnosis. Um, but... You can't say to yourself, my mother and father died in their 70s, so I'm going to die in my 70s, or I'm going to die in my early 80s, because your mother and father didn't have the benefit of some of the medical advances that we have. So mm-hmm. you, it, it's a good idea. As, as Harry said, once you pass 65, your chances of being long-lived increase dramatically. Right. You've already made it that far, of course. Yep. So, But does that also argue for working longer and retiring later? Well, you're talking to somebody who is well, well past the age of full retirement age and who is continuing to work and loves it. Not everybody, and particularly women, have that option. You don't always leave the workforce voluntarily, particularly when there are reductions in force. It seems as though single women are targeted because the separation packages offer things, offer offers they can't refuse. They're mm-hmm. offered health health benefits until they reach Medicare age. So again, it, it it's it yes, if you like your work and even if you don't love the work that you've done for most of your life, having some sort of income, even though it may seem a pittance. I have a lot of people who say, well, I used to earn $150,000. I used to earn $80,000. What is $10,000? Well, $10,000 makes a lot of difference in how long your money may last. Because mm-hmm. the longer you can earn some money, the less you have to pull off of your nest egg. So yes, if you can find work that you enjoy, and even if it doesn't pay what you are used to making, it is well worth working as long as you can. Yeah, I, I talked to another elder law attorney of uh, my vintage the other day, who's thinking about closing her practice, but said she's she needs she feels kind of what you said that she needs to still earn some money. She's saying just 12000 a year, not that much, but enough to, I guess, close the circle on her finances. Look, Harry, that makes me think of another piece of advice, especially for women who are entrepreneurs and own their own businesses, is that if you are a business owner, one of the things I find curiously is that women tend not to think about either succession planning and more importantly, how to monetize their businesses. Mm-hmm meaning that they can have some sort of a succession plan which 
presents them with liquidity that they can they can structure a, a liquidity event in such a way that they can continue to get income from that business based on the 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 um the the, the structure of the sale. So right. that's if you happen to be um um a woman business owner, I, I urge you to reach out to somebody who can. There there are more and more business succession planning consultants. I have one on my team, for example, but. Look, don't just think about closing the doors. If you pour sweat equity into a business, look into whether or not you can monetize that. Right. And it may it may be a way also as part of a transition to continue working for a while, which also has the other benefit that you mentioned earlier of staying involved. Exactly. Of, that, that, that seems to really affect not only financial well-being, but also health exactly. and spirit. So what do you advise people or do you about downsizing, say in the house where you maybe had a family and raised them and, and maybe it's too big a house, but it's also your home? So that, there's not one answer to that question, as I'm sure, Harry. Some people downsized earlier. I, I downsized when I was just turning 50. Mm. Wow. And, and, and I now have a house that I can age in place, at least for a good period of time. I have a client that Unfortunately, just had to put her husband into an assisted, actually to, from assisted living right into nursing care. She has a big house. She knows that she needs to sell the house, but there's emotional attachments. And for people who have, have all the memories and material possessions that they've collected over a lifetime, it's a big, big task. It's hard. It's, it's a hard decision to make. I know there are, are People out there who will help with downsizing. Mm -hmm. um, I I think if if a, if a task seems too big, uh, but you want to do it, get some help. I personally think having a place of your own that you can age in place might allow you to stay in your own home longer than if you have a big cavernous, oversized house that is not only a financial drain but also just a drain on your time and your worries. Yeah. I have a colleague who recommends that everybody take a really close look at their situation at age 75 because they're, they're likely to be healthy until they're 75. By the, by the time they're 75, if they have kids and depending when they had them, maybe they're settled and they know where they're going to be. And if they are going to need care in the future, no one knows if they're going to need care, but it certainly helps all concerned if you assuming you have kids who are going to help out to be near them because they'll they'll be able to step in and they'll be able to step in without having to fly across the country to help out and so he suggests take a close look at seven at age 75 and decide where's the best place long term for you to live and that might involve selling your house and moving to a smaller place yeah i mean i get i i, I think if you haven't done it or haven't thought about it before age 75, it's certainly time to think about it. I think more importantly is when an opportunity presents itself. I know a lot of people were, it might have been slightly premature, but the real estate market was such that they were able to get, you know, optimize their selling price. And so they may have sold a little sooner than they wanted, but they took advantage of that. There may be an opportunity where kids are relocating and you'll, like where they're relocating and it makes sense to do that. And that isn't necessarily age bound, but I agree with your friend that if you haven't 
address this issue by age 75, it is definitely time to start thinking and discussing it with your network and your loved ones and think about it. So I'd like to ask you about a couple insurance products and just get your opinion, this again, especially for women. And what do you, I'm curious about your thoughts about long-term care insurance and annuities. So I just want to give a disclaimer that I'm not, I'm not going to recommend or not recommend any particular product, but I will say that the whole uh, marketplace for long-term care insurance has become more complicated than it was 20 years ago or 10 years ago. The cost of traditional long-term care insurance is in, in some cases prohibitive. And some of the benefits that they provided don't exist. And that's just because the insurance companies had no, uh, no data on which to make actuarial assumptions. So their prices have increased based on claims experience that they now have. What, what, what insurance companies do in their, in, in brilliantly is they create products that um, are needed. And so there are a bunch of what I would refer to as hybrid long-term care products that combine not only long-term care, but maybe life insurance. And they are complicated. They're hard to understand. Uh, you need somebody. But this, this is advice I give to women all the time. If you are inquiring about a particular in, a vehicle, insurance, investments, and you don't understand them, and the person from wh whom you are getting advice can't make you understand them, then move on to another person mm -hmm. because we need to understand what can be a complicated uh, set of benefits. I think people avoid addressing long-term care insurance because it can be complicated. They misunderstand it. Um, but there are some wonderful opportunities out there that don't involve traditional long-term care insurance. They're mm -hmm. mostly referred to as hybrid policies. The, the big objection to long-term care insurance was that it, you either use it or lose it. And, yeah. some of, and some of these newer products don't don't have that as a problem. So I I urge people to look into it. Obviously, the earlier you buy it, the less expensive it is, and the chances of your having a disqualifying health issue are lower. It's very hard to get long term care insurance if you have a disqualifying health issue. And believe it or not, it's harder to get long term care insurance than life insurance because mm -hmm. life insurance didn't care if you die, but with Long-term care, you live a long time, that no lose. they lose. Um, a word about annuities. Annuities, the term annuity is, it's a, a small a annuity is simply the promise of periodic payments over um, a lifetime. And they have come to have a very bad name in some quarters. If you were to Google the word annuities, you would get 50% of what you read would be don't ever touch them. I think, I think there's a, 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 a owner of a big financial planning firm who says don't ever buy an annuity, but he, his firm isn't even qualified to present them. Mm -hmm. um, I can say that for some people at the right time of their lives, they are lifesavers. They basically lay off to an insurance company the promise to pay a lifetime income even if you should run out of the money that you would have used to provide that income. And that can be a lifesaver for people who have circumstances that could result in them running out of money. Um, again, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of um, bells and whistles um, on hundreds of different annuity 
um, products. And they need to be looked at very carefully. And I would urge anyone who is interested in looking into one or who has been recommended one by a particular company to seek uh, a second opinion from a company that does not only offer annuities from their own proprietary product. Uh-huh. Somebody that we call that open architecture, who has access to all of the landscape of annuities. Shop around. Right. And they can be, they can be wonderful, wonderful, or they can be totally inappropriate. And there's, again, some education that re- is required. So they're, they're, they are really what's called long, longevity insurance, right? So that you'll, you'll well, have income even if you keep living forever, in effect. Yeah, so, so, some of them are designed for long, longevity protection. Others are actually wrappers around investment portfolios to protect against market gyrations. Uh-huh. Some of them actually offer death benefits. So if people can't get life insurance, they can get annuities with death benefits. So there's... Uh-huh. Here's a, 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 again, people knock life insurance companies, but insurance companies do, I think, public good by uh, using the law of large numbers and, and, and providing benefits to people that need them. So as you, as you said, it's complicated. It is complicated and it takes some time. And there are a couple of big companies known for their 401k asset custodial ship that are anxious to get people scooped into an annuity as soon as they retire. I Mm -hmm. I would raise a flag to uh, anyone who has been in those discussions. We've had a a number of people who come to us and say, this is what was recommended. I just want to get a second opinion. And and, and I think that's a good idea. So in closing, Amy, on these podcasts, we ask all our guests the same three questions. So, so I'm going to ask you first, if you were going to recommend one innovation or, or, or step that our politicians and government leaders could take to ensure the financial future of older women in the United States, what would that be? Well, I think addition, uh, addressing the issue of long-term care. And I know that the Biden administration has taken some steps. There's a lot of controversy about how he's, about what the unintended impacts will be of, of his proposals. But I think I really do think our, our Washington has got and local governments have got to address the issue of, of how we're going to take care of this bulge in people turning 85 in 10 years. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So that's a, a big, a big problem coming our way. So the next question is really the same question, but really for individuals. What would be one step you, you, you would recommend to baby boomer women that they take? Don't abdicate. Take responsibility. Start early, as early as you can. And if you haven't already started, it's never too late. Never too early and never too late. And and who else should we talk to about these issues? I was I was reading as I re- read some of your work, Harry. You had a we printed or referenced somebody named Senator Richard Moore, mm-hmm. and he seemed to be very knowledgeable in the in this field. And I thought maybe he would be a good person to interview. I don't know if he if he's accessible, but I thought he might be a good person. So he's a Massachusetts state senator, retired Massachusetts state senator Richard Moore, who's part of a group I think it's called Aging with Dignity that's working to improve, especially the nursing homes in Massachusetts. 
Might he be a good person? Yeah, I think so. So I will invite him. Thank you very much, Amy, for uh, the recommendations, all your recommendations, and for joining us today. Thanks, Harry. It's a pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure.